Hey, I'm Mark Allen, six-time Ironman Triathlon world champion. Welcome to the PK Triathlon podcast. This one you will remember for a long time. Welcome to another episode of our PK Triathlon podcast. Um, this week, we are super honored to have a legend of the sport of triathlon with us. Person's won it all in triathlon. Um, Olympic distance world champion, Avignon, not quite sure of the year. <laughs> nice. Uh, international triathlon okay 89 nice international triathlon 10 times hawaii ironman six times obviously one half of the legend of the the iron war story also espn acknowledge you as the greatest endurance athlete of all time we want to talk to you not only about your successes but also about the challenges you've overcome to eventually succeed i'm really interested in your 1621 infinity legacy and what that means and what it means to you and as triathlon coaches, I'm fascinated by your coaching and what the sport of triathlon still means to you. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I don't normally get nervous on these podcasts, but I am pretty nervous today because you're actually one of my coaching icons and sporting icons. So welcome, Mark Allen. Yeah, great to be on. Thanks for having me here. Uh, those are a lot of accolades. Um, you know, I, I raced professionally for 15 years in the sport. I got into it in 1982 just with the dream to cross the Ironman finish line. I was, I was 24 years old and I had, I had seen the Ironman on television about in February of 1982. And it was just this dramatic shock to my system. Like, how can somebody finish that race? You know, I, when they were telling the distances, I, I, like I'd never heard of Ironman or triathlon before that. And so when the commentators were, were telling the distances of the race, I thought, how many days does it take them to finish that? And, uh, you know, of course, it's a one-day race. They have 17 hours. And I thought, these people are friggin' nuts. There's no way a human body can do that. But, of course, you know, I watched these ordinary, seemingly ordinary people cross that extraordinary finish line. And it just sparked something in me. And I thought, you know what? I need to go there and just see if I can be an Ironman finisher, see if I can cross that finish line. Of course, in 1982, it was very easy to get into the race. You, you called up the Ironman office. They sent you the application. You sent it back with a check and a headshot, and you were in. You know, it's not like today where people, you know, it's very difficult to gain a slot, as you know, to get into the race there in Kona. Um, but so anyway, that, that simple dream to just cross the Ironman finish line once turned into a 15-year career, and that has turned into you know, whatever, another 25 years since then where I've been coaching athletes all over the world and continue to love to do that. Cool. What well, I mean, when 1982, there wasn't, there wasn't a professional scene like there is now in terms of triathlon, let alone in Ironman. What made you become a professional athlete? Was it just the idea of you'd, you'd done quite well in 1982 and wanted to try and better that? Or was it something else? It was actually, um, it, it was sort of like the universe propping me up and pushing me forward. You know, I, I raced in 1982. I, I, I did the Ironman that year. I, 
was actually in the lead with Dave Scott halfway through the bike ride, um, which shocked me. Like, you know, Dave Scott back in 1982, he was the guy to beat. He, he had won the race uh, once at that point, and he was trying to win again, which he did that year in 82. Um, but, you know, to be in the lead with the guy who was like the man, I, you know, just like blew my mind. But unfortunately, my derailleur broke uh, halfway through the bike ride and I had to drop out. So even though I didn't accomplish that big goal or th that big dream of crossing the finish line, a whole new dream was born out of that event. And I, I thought, you know, I was with this guy for quite a bit of the race. Maybe I have something, maybe I have the possibility to do well in this sport. But I was working at the time and you know, there was no professionalism, as you talked, as you just said, but a couple months after Ironman, I was actually contacted by an investment company in San Diego near where I lived, and, and they were starting a triathlon team, and they were going to, uh, they wanted me to be on it, and they said, we'll pay you a salary, and we'll fly you to races, and I'm like, <laughs> sign me up, you know, and so it, it just I was in the right place at the right time and I got the support that I needed. And, and then right after that, Nike picked me up as an athlete and, you know, they provided a, a huge, a huge amount of support throughout my entire career. And so it just, it just evolved, you know, it was just, I, uh, the next year I, I quit my job and I started racing full time and, and just, you know, everything took off from there. It's a very long career, Mark, racing at that top level with significant, race placings as well as wins and you talk about you know your first was just a dream to go and you know, it's just to see if you can cross the finish line but what kept you going 15 15 years professionally is is a long time when you've mm -hmm. won repeatedly what what fueled you to just keep going you know my 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 improvement in the sport was kind of, it was steady, you know, I didn't have, um, I wasn't, I just slowly kept getting better and better and better. And, th and that was kind of my goal, you know, to not just, I mean, there's things you can do in your training that, that'll just give you this huge bump and boost in your performance, but it's not sustainable. And I had seen that with a number of athletes, you know, they, they would do crazy stuff for six months and they'd have these amazing races. And then six months later they were broken down and, and could barely move. And it's like, that's not the template I want to follow. You know, I want to be steadily improving for as long as I can. And so that was actually my, one of my main goals was to just see how far I could take my fitness, how, how many, you know, each year I would try like one or two new things in my training and see how that worked. And it would take, actually the entire season to figure out if this new thing that I was doing was effective or not, because, you know, you can read research papers about a study that was done on athletes and for three weeks they did something and these are the results. Well, three weeks is much different than three months or three years. And so, you know, my, like I said, my goal was to just keep, uh, keep improving. And I really felt like, up until my final Ironman that there was one more step that I could go, you know, in my final Ironman in 1995, I pulled the last little couple tricks out of the bag of things that I'd never done before. And, and so I knew going into it that there was nothing more I could do to get better than what I was bringing into the race that year. Mm -hmm. And so that was, it felt like it had come full circle. You know, I got into the sport with 
zero knowledge about how to combine swimming, cycling, and running. And by the time I finished the sport, I felt like I had learned everything I could about not only training, but the sport had taught me everything that it was going to, from a racing standpoint anyway, about myself and how to deal with challenges and how to pick up the pieces when you have bad races and how to, you know, really embrace the, the positive aspects of not only racing well, but being in this community of athletes and, and meeting people from all over the world. And, and it's like, how can I now take all of this stuff that made my life feel so rich and, you know, pour it into other people's journeys and dreams. And that's, that's what uh, really enabled me or was the spark for me to get into coaching to help other athletes. Mm -hmm. I think Paul's got a question on, on that now for you, Mark. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, certainly it's certainly on the list of questions that I've got. I've got like massive long list, but it, I, I know we're conscious <laughs> of time and, and I'm very, very grateful for the amount of time you're giving us. I'm going to go back just a fraction note and I'll come back to the coaching in a bit. You won Hawaii in 89 and this podcast is, is pretty much aimed at beginners and intermediate athletes, although any athlete can get something out of it. That's our aim. A lot of people know the story of the Iron Wall with, with yourself and Dave Scott, but leading into that, how did you keep overcoming the challenges that you had year on year where things didn't quite go um, the way you'd wanted to and, and actually built up to that achievement of winning in 89 and then going on to win another six races? Well, that's a great question. And I think it's, it's one that all athletes might have to ask themselves at some point or another. It's like you, you do this period of work, you're, you're training, you think you're fit, you have a, a dream or a goal or an image of what's going to happen in the race. And if the race day turns out to be something completely disastrous and different than you imagine, you kind of have to ask yourself, is it worth it? You know, am I, am I just an idiot? And I, I, my dream is like way too big. I'm completely delusional or is there something that I can change and maybe get a little bit closer the next time. And so, you know, for those who don't know the, the history intimately, I, I raced the Ironman six times before I won it on the seventh time. And in those first six, you know, the first one you heard my derailleur broke. So boom, right away, I realized that Ironman day does not follow my ideal race plan. You know, <laughs> that was not my ideal plan to have my derailleur break and I drop out. And so, you know, the next year I finished in third place, uh, racing what I felt like was kind of conservatively. Uh, and that was, pretty exciting, you know, to be top three in Kona. The following year, I finished um, in fifth place, but I was closer to the leader uh, after that. The, the following year, I, was, I finished in second. And so then I thought, there's only one spot left, you know, numero uno. So in 1987, as I got pre ready for my uh, fifth Ironman, I, I asked myself, what can I do to, to get more fit than everybody? And I just thought, just throw a bunch of training out there, you know, just swim, bike, and run as much as you can. And, um, you know, in the years prior to that, there was one year where I was 12 minutes, 12 and a half minutes ahead of everybody off the bike. And, I, and I, this was in 1984. And I thought, I've got this thing. There's no way anybody's going to make up 12 and a half minutes on me on the run. So as I ran the, the stretch through the town of Kona before you go out onto the, the main Queen K highway where the, the bulk of the marathon takes place, you know, I was cheering. I was high-fiving. I had this big smile on my face and, um, 
you know, people were, most people were going, hey, go Mark, you got it, you have it, you have it. And some people were going, go Dave, go Dave, because they thought the only guy who could be in the race, in the lead of the race was Dave Scott. And so it's like, <laughs> hey, no, that's not my name. But anyway, I fell apart on the marathon and ended up walking, you know. And so um, that was disappointing because I thought that year in 84, I had it. I didn't have it. 87, I raced a little more conservatively, waited till halfway through the marathon before I really made my move. I pulled away from Dave Scott, who was running with me at that point. I ended up walking again. And the following year, I came back, 1988, for my sixth attempt at Kona. Dave Scott pulled out two days before the race, or the night before the race, actually. I had beaten everybody that was there. I thought, this is it. I'm going to win it. I got three flat tires. I ended up in fifth place. And so I had these huge disappointments where nothing seemed to go right for me in the race. And, you know, that's a, that can be a very hard thing to pick up the pieces. And, mm-hmm. and so I really, you know, each year before I started my training, I would just sit down and I would ask myself, what's my purpose for racing? You know, what, what will give value to putting in all of those hours? And in, in all of those first six races, the real goal was this finishing image, this time, this place, this position that I wanted to be in. After that sixth one, I realized, you know what? I may never win this thing. So why do I even want to go back? And then I, that was a pivotal, pivotal point for me because I realized, you know what? I really love this training. I feel like I can get better. I know there's some things that I need to change and it's worth it. And so I said, forget trying to win that frigging thing. Only one person's going to cross the finish line first. Does that mean that everybody else is a loser or that everybody else, their journey isn't worthless? Absolutely not. And so in 89, I really did it for the joy of training, the joy of seeing where I could take my body, seeing where, how I could get my mind in a better place so that I was just more calm on race day. And it was, I think if, if athletes from beginners all the way to top pros can just enjoy that day-to-day practice of swimming and cycling and running and seeing how good you feel when you do those workouts, regardless of whether you're getting faster or not, but just that you feel good exercising. That's the bottom line. Does that make you feel better? Absolutely. Does it help reduce your stress? Absolutely. You know, the pandemic that we're in, you know, you go and you do a walk, a run, a, a bike ride, whatever it is, you move your body, you forget about the problems for a while, and you have this incredible, like, whew, at least I had that good positive thing in my life today. And so anyway, that, I, that was how my, my training went that year. And so if that's, if you get this in, just innate feeling of like, that was good, you know, and it, I did it with my friends, and we had a fun training session together even if it doesn't go the way you hope exactly, it's still worth doing it. And then the racing just becomes this thing. It's like a bonus at the end of it. If, if you get to a race and even if it doesn't go well, it's like, so what, you know, there's going to be another race and I'll figure it out the next time. And so that's kind of how I evolved my, my mindset and my passion for the sport. So that's really picking up on very much your training philosophy as well, isn't it? Around consistency little things, keeping it real, keeping it fun and working through the process. Yeah. You know, I mean, what you do in triathlon or any sport should enhance your life. It shouldn't add more stress to your life. 
I mean, of course, there will be things that might be stressful. Like for me, racing was kind of stressful. Can I handle it? Can I beat those guys? Will my body be able to take it? Will I be able to hold on? Can I handle the pain? You know, just all that kind of stuff. But I also, I realized, you know, when it, when it comes to racing, all of the things that I was worried about before I, before the gun went off, most of them never even came up in the race anyway. And the things that did, they were so much easier to deal with in the moment of the race than they were thinking about how I was going to deal with it before the race. And I actually saw this in, 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 in um, 1994. That was my son had been born a couple months before that year. And so I didn't go to, I didn't race Kona in 1994. I, I won from 1989 through 1993, 1994, I backed away. And then I came back again for number six in 1995. But in 94, that was the first year that I'd actually watched the Ironman. And I, and I watched all the guys that I had raced against for years, fretting and worrying before the race. And, all, you know, I talked with them and they'd have all these crazy things going on in their mind. And I realized most of what they're thinking about is they're just making that up as, as something that could be difficult. It's going to be no problem for them to manage it. And so that actually was kind of like one of those aha moments for me. Like, you know what, before the race, focus on the things that you can manage, meaning make sure you have your nutrition right. Make sure you've packed your bags properly. Make sure your gears work. Make sure you, you have your goggles, your running shoes, you know, all those little things. That's what you can manage before the race. Of course, plan on your strategies for how you will do the race, but don't worry about how you will deal with it because that'll, that'll, you'll understand that once the gun goes off. Thank you. That's, I'll tell you what, for me, that's absolutely sort of gold dust to my ears because I've been advocating that to my athletes for as long as I can remember in terms of coaching. And my evolving coaching philosophy has always has been, or currently is, um, consistent, sustainable, balanced training with the right recovery. And I've been coaching for triathlon for 15 years now, so nowhere near as long as you. But, and you're always learning. And you're always evolving. And I think I'm probably going to have to add adaptable to that training philosophy because I think it needs that on there. I guess my question is that you've, you've had a, a, you run a current coaching business, uh, Alan Coaching. Um, you work with Ironman as one of their master coaches. And I guess I want to know what got you into coaching specifically and what inspires you as a coach? Um, and I guess the ultimate question is, what is your coaching philosophy, if you, if you have a specific philosophy? Mm. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I actually kind of stumbled into coaching sort of the same way I stumbled into be, becoming a pro athlete. The last year that I raised, uh, a guy who lives in Chicago, Illinois, contacted me and he said, hey, would you coach me? I want to do some races and here's my history. And I thought... Sure. Why not? You know, it'd be fun because I, I, I didn't have a coach actually, because in, in, in the years that I raced the, the, the athletes who were at the top of the sport were the ones who were evolving the methods that became very accepted and effective in terms of getting people fit and, and giving them sustainable results over, over time. And so I thought, sure, let me just try this. And that was back in the days of Excel spreadsheets, you know, and, so I'd mail this guy Excel spreadsheets with his training plans. And um, I went from one athlete and then I retired. And then I put it out there that I would wanted to 
that I was available for coaching and I had a whole bunch of people contact me and I started coaching more people and it just evolved into what has become a main, one of the main parts of my business now, which is, is coaching athletes. MarkAllenCoaching.com is where you can see all my stuff. The philosophy that I use is the same as what for my athletes now that I coach is the same as what I used uh, when I raced. And it's all based on setting your training zones uh, by heart rate. There's a there's kind of a formula that I use that was developed by Phil Maffetone, who back in, in the days of my career really advised me and guided me on how to optimize that balance between doing aerobic training and anaerobic training. So, you know, aerobic is that fat burning endurance physiology. Anaerobic is that carbohydrate burning, high intensity speed and uh, physiology. And we need both to race our, at our best. But most athletes and many coaches provide the athletes with, with too much fast stuff. So they're always doing, you know, little surges and sprints and, you know, race pace stuff. And so 90% of their training is either low intensity anaerobic or high intensity anaerobic, but it's all anaerobic. Anaerobic training is the physiology that your body would switch into in ancient times, our ancient ancestors, when it was fight or flight, there's danger around, it's high stress on your body. A little bit of that makes you stronger, faster, more resilient, more vibrant, uh, gives you energy. Too much of it has a complete opposite effect. You know, you can actually end up um, compromising your immune system. It can disrupt your sleep so you don't recover properly. If you're under physiological stress like that, training stress is too much, uh, your weight can go up, it can go down, you can lose motivation, you, your energy levels can drop. Just tons of things that you don't want to have happen. It can actually make you go, get slower because your body stops all of the hormones that make you stronger, like human growth hormone and testosterone. So I have my athletes, and I, as an, as an athlete, did a ton of training aerobically because that's low stress. It's developing that fat-burning physiology in your body, and fat is sort of like diesel fuel. You know, that's what helps us to sustain, sustain our efforts in – Ironman, even half Ironman, even Olympic distance, even sprint distance races. Here's a, here's a thing for you. Physiologically, any event over about four minutes starts to draw on endurance aerobic fitness. So if you can finish your Ironman in under four minutes, then go out and do fast stuff all the time. But if it's going to take you more than four minutes, then you're going to get huge, huge benefits out of developing that aerobic fat burning physiology. And that happens at low to moderate intensities, which, um, you know, you finish a, a workout that you did aerobically, you, you always have more energy than you had at the beginning. And so you kind of go, did I get anything out of that? Yes, you did. Excellent. And I've been reading that you're a strong advocate of strength, strength work as well. I'm a strength and conditioning coach as well as a physio and a triathlon coach. So again, that's music to my ears. Can you tell us a little bit about how you incorporate strength work, functional strength work? Yeah, when I, um, when, uh, up until I was about uh, 33, I didn't do any strength training because I was getting great results. You know, my body was still young. Uh, I, I, part of the reason I didn't do much strength training or any was because I didn't know how to do it, you know. And Finally, I saw that it didn't matter how much I would swim, bike, or run, that I was actually 
losing speed. I was losing strength on climbs. I wasn't recovering as quickly. And it's like, okay, now's the time. I need to incorporate strength training. And so I went to um, this local gym called Gold's Gym. It was near my house. And it's one of those gyms that used to have the guys that are like, you know, and so I'd, I'd open the door and I'd walk in and I'd look at them throwing around these massive plates and I'd look at me and I'd just, I'd turn around and go out. I was totally intimidated. So, you know, I mean, here I am, Iron Man champ. I'd already won it a couple of times, totally intimidated to go into the gym with these guys. And so finally, um, somebody introduced me to a woman, Diane Bukta, who was like an encyclopedia of, of strength training. And she guided me through an entire season of phasing with strength, with strength training and showing me how to do all the, all of the lifts so that I didn't hurt myself. And it was mind boggling. The first year that I had, uh, that I incorporated strength training into my swimming, cycling and running, I had perhaps the best, um, consistent triathlon season ever in my life. And it and it was, you know, I was, that year that I actually did that was, I was 34 years old. It was the first year that I um, did a huge jump and bump up in my performances. So I'm a huge advocate of doing strength work, core work, balance work. Um, if you're doing a lot of aerobic training, you strength training is a must to do because when you're training at lower to medium intensities, you're not working your muscles as hard as you would if you go out really hard, but hard aerobic training, you know, cardiovascular training, I should say, like I said, is high stress. Strength training, even though it's um, technically ballistic and technically anaerobic, it's actually low stress on your body. So it's a super, super good way to just, you know, two days a week, you, you hit all the muscles on your in, uh, big main muscle groups in your body. You're going to have huge improvements in your performance, in your recovery, in your ability to avoid injuries in the integrity of your joints and, and ligaments and tendons. It's awesome. Good. Glad you like it. <laughs> and do you, do you use that with all your athletes now, regardless of age? Absolutely. You know, the, for sure the old ones have to do it because they're older. And, you know, if you don't do strength work, like I said, you can swim, bike, and run all you want, and you're slowly going to lose lean muscle mass over time. Mm -hmm. But I also try to get my younger folks to do it as well because even though they don't necessarily need it as much they will still get big improvement from doing it but absolutely if you're over about 35 years old um, if you want to optimize not only your performance but your results uh, uh, your uh, experience in the sport and your your um, consistency with ability to absorb all the swimming cycling and running that you do Strength training is a must. So everybody, go to her. She's going to get you guys fit. Brilliant. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'll get a better endorsement, Kate. No, um, i that one. Mark, you've worked so, obviously, you've talked about strength and conditioning. We talk about uh, cardiovascular fitness and anaerobic fitness. But also, you work very hard on your mental game. Uh, you wrote a book. I've even read it. Fit Soul, Fit Body with Brent. Secunda, have I said that right? Mm -hmm. yes. um, nine keys to a happier or a healthier, happier you. As I mentioned before, the, the podcast is aimed at beginners and intermediates, but perhaps taking on a challenge or an Ironman or a 70.3 for the first time, what advice would you give them from a mental point of view? Yeah, that, that book is a great book. I, you know, 
early in my career, I saw that, that racing is only partly about how fit you are. It's also about where's your internal environment, you know, your inner landscape when you're racing. Do you, are you able to stay steady? Are you able to just kind of surrender to the, the day as it unfolds and deal with it as things come up? Or are you trying to, trying to fit it into this ideal plan that maybe isn't going to happen for you? How do you deal with challenge in the middle of the race? How do you deal with moments that seem impossible? What happens when your mind goes crazy with those thoughts that are trying to sabotage your effort? What do you do when you're coming up with a million excuses that sound so um, valid to just drop out and give up? You know, how do you make, how do you shift from away from that sort of negative mindset into one that brings you back into giving everything you have to give? And I learned so much of how to do that through studying with Brant Secunda, as you mentioned, that, that we wrote that book together, Fit Soul, Fit Body. Brant is a shaman healer, ceremonial leader in a, a, a tradition that comes from central Mexico from the Huichol people. And the, the, Huichols, the Huichol are very, they're very, a very simple uh, group of people, but they have these amazing philosophies. Like, you know, one simple saying they have is that it's never over until it's over. And think about that. You know, a race is like that. You think that when you're having a bad moment that, you know, until the rest of time, you're going to feel bad, right? But then five minutes later, you bring yourself, pull yourself back together, and all of a sudden, you start to flow again. You know, you're feeling good. You know, the Weechols have practices that teach you how to get your mind to be quiet. So it's like, okay, there's that quiet space. And when you're quiet, all of that mental chatter kind of goes away, and you stop judging and, and assessing and analyzing this immediate moment of what's going on and you bring yourself back into saying let me give everything I have and however it turns out when I give everything I have even if the result isn't what I'd hoped for it's still going to be so worthy of the effort that I put into it and I will still feel fulfilled from what I gave you know and and so Brant um, really helped me with a lot of that through his teachings. He, he has a great website, shamanism.com. You can see a lot of retreats that, that he, he leads all over the world and, and helps people with not only that, but just to live a happier, healthier life. And so anyway, he, he helped me a lot in, during my years racing. I couldn't have won all those Ironmans without his help and assistance. In, in that book we wrote, uh, Fit Soul, Fit Body, there are nine keys. And uh, many of those help you in races, you know, like quieting your mind. One of the keys we have is to know and set your quest. It's like, what's your purpose for racing? What's your purpose in the sport? Is it just to get a result or is it to maybe enhance your entire life? You know, and, and so being clear with that. And then a, a second key is, is to live what you ask for. You know, there's a heck of a lot of people that wanted to win Ironman but there weren't that many who were willing to do what it took to actually win it or to be in a position where they might be able to win it. And so, you know, there's just different aspects of, there's so much that we can do with our racing. If we not only realize that it's, yes, it is about the swimming, cycling, running. It is, it is about how far we go and how fast we go, but it's also about how we relate, relate to ourselves in this journey and to make what we do in the sport as kind of like a practice for life to just help us perfect ourselves a little bit more each day. And so what I mean by that is like, 
maybe you have your favorite run loop, you know, or favorite trail that you run on all the time. Well, if you just do it sort of rotely the same every day, it's going to be like wearing a groove into a record. It's going to wear itself out. But if, if you go out each time on that same trail and try to have more ease in, in the way you move your upper body or more rhythm in your breathing or maybe a different, slightly different foot strike so that you're becoming more efficient, each time you go out, it's going to be a different experience and it's going to be a new one and a great one. And you'll find that you really progress throughout. You get faster for a lot of years. And then even when you stop getting faster as you get older, you're still going to have so much satisfaction out of it. And so these are just like maybe a lot of simple philosophies that if you implement them, um, you know, it won't matter whether you do triathlon for a few months or the rest of your life, it's going to be a great experience. And again, that's going back to kind of your looking for small, small changes, small improvements, uh, being present in, in what you're doing and, and having a real why. Why am I going out there every day? Why am I doing this? Because that's got to be driven by something quite strong inside to, to keep going day in, day out, regardless of the, the beautiful weather or the not so beautiful weather. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I had my days where I was like, oh, geez, do I have to go out and do that, you know, and, and some days, indeed, you do need to cut back, you need to take a day rest or recovery. So what I would usually do on those days is, unless it was so clear that I did, today's not a good day to train, what I would do is just, just get out the door and start into the workout. And if in 15 or 20 minutes, if I didn't feel myself kind of go, okay, I'm glad I'm out here now. I would turn around because, you know, you can put together the ideal training plan, but that doesn't, the, your body may not follow that ideal progression, right? Our bodies aren't like computers. You can't program them. And so you, there's also one of the keys in the book is to honor yourself, meaning honor yourself with consistency, with good food, with good thoughts, but also honor yourself in the sense of, if you do need a day recovery that's not planned, you need to take it on yourself with that so that the day after that, you're actually going to come back and feel good again. Good advice, Mark. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, you won Hawaii six times. I'm going to ask you probably a question you've had 100,000 times before, but which of those successes would you consider your best or favorite and why? Well, there, there's two that really stand out. The first was the first win in 1989 because that was my seventh Ironman. I had lost, lost the first six. It was an epic day where Dave Scott, who at that point, he was the six-time Ironman champion. He was the guy to beat. He and I raced side by side for eight hours, and it wasn't until the final um, uphill with about a mile and a half in the marathon before the race did break apart and I was able to go on to win beating him on his best Ironman day ever. He broke his previous world's record by almost 18 minutes. And I did my best time on that day by almost 30. And the difference in our times at the end was 58 seconds, a very, very small margin on a big day. And it was, it was a huge victory for me because it would have been easy to, to just say after the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth, year of not winning years where I put an entire year of training into 
that race and still came up short. It would have been so easy to say, ah, forget it. Let me go to the races where I know I can win. I've beaten Dave Scott. I've beaten everybody else. I know that I can just sort of hold it together better. So to get to the start, even the start line in 1989 was a huge success for me. To have it be a victory was just amazing. Um, but really, the, the, I would say the, the race that had the deepest meaning to me was the final Ironman in 1995. And there's a few reasons. One, it was the first race that my son was at because he was, he was two years old. He had never been in the energy of me racing in, in Kona. And it was just an amazing experience to know that he was there in that, you know, he doesn't remember it, but, you know, just to have him there when I had pulled off that final sixth and final victory was amazing. But on, a, on an athletic level, what was so fulfilling for me was that um, I came off the bike 37, uh, 13 and a half minutes behind the leader, Thomas Hellriegel, a 24-year-old guy. I was 37. He was 13 years younger than me. And at that point, with being behind the lead by 13 and a half minutes, I thought I was having the worst Ironman of my life. You know, I mean... I'd never been that far off the bike out of the lead and I was ready to give up. It's like, this is not worth it. There's no way I can make up that. that I would have to run 30 seconds a mile faster than him every single mile of that marathon to catch him at the finish line. And that seemed so impossible. And then I just remembered some of the words that Brant had actually told me before the race. He said, again, remember, it's never over until it's over. Just give it everything you have don't worry about how it's going to turn out. And so I, I did that. I just dedicated that marathon to giving everything I had. I thought, you know what? I know this, this is going to be my final Ironman. No matter what, I need to cross that finish line. And so I slowly did start to make up time. With eight miles to go, I was told that Hell Regal was four minutes ahead of me. Now, that meant that I still had to make up 30 seconds a mile to catch him at the finish line. So even though I made up this big gap, the relative distance between us was still the same. And let me tell you, when you're, when you're chasing down a guy who's 13 years younger than you to, to, to have to do a sprint finish at the finish line of the world championship, there's no way I'm going to win that sprint. So, you know, <laughs> Grant had also said, if you need help, if you need something extra, call out to the big island. You know, the, the island of, of Hawaii is this incredibly powerful place in nature. It's, it's alive and you can feel it and you can feel the intensity and there's lava and there's wind and there's heat and humidity. And it's like you're having to deal with this energy that, that is like no other place on the planet. And I knew that I needed to somehow embrace that because at that moment, I was starting to fight everything. I was starting to, to fight my age. I was starting to fight the gap with this guy that I still couldn't see because he was so far up ahead of me. I was, I was fighting the, you know, those negative thoughts that were just telling me it's not worth it. It's, you know, what are you still doing out here? Just throw in the towel. And, you know, Brant said, call out to the island if you need help, it will hear you. And so I just said, hey, Big Island, this is my last race. I've got eight miles left. I'm not making up enough time. I need something extra. I'm going to give it everything I have, but I need something extra. Amazingly, the mile after that, I made up about 40 seconds. And the one after that, I made up about 50. And the mile after that, I made up a minute and 15 seconds on this guy who'd been leading now for over six hours. Finally, I caught him at mile 23 
I made the final pass of my Ironman career and I went on to win that sixth and final title. And, you know, it, it, com it completed something for me that, that was truly, truly a dream, you know, to, to, to match Dave Scott's record, to win six Ironman titles, to do it at, at age 37, which at that time was the oldest champion ever in the race, to make up a gap of 13 and a half minutes, the biggest gap that anyone had ever made up at that point in the history of that race was just amazing and to overcome the hundreds of moments when I wanted to quit but I was able to just get my mind quiet each time and find a reason to keep going and to engage again and to give everything I had those you know those are the victories that we all have over that lesser part of ourselves that that could just as easily have said ah forget it or you stay with it but you're not giving your full effort you know, those are the greatest victories for any athlete. And those are the unseen victories that nobody but you will know. But those are the victories that completely empower you as a human being because you see what you're capable of beyond anything you ever thought you could have done before. And you would have never known those parts of yourself had you not put yourself in those positions that can be extremely challenging and difficult and impossible, thinking, I can't keep going. Yes, I can. You're right. And in, in terms of everybody has those little victories in life, in, in not just in Ironman. And sometimes Ironman and triathlon can be a sort of a metaphor for, for, for life and for challenges that we, we all face. Um, and it's, it's fascinating to hear you, you talk about how you, you make your mind quiet and, and, and then overcome those challenges. And it, it's so applicable in so many different ways. And it's not just in sport, but actually just in, in, in day-to-day life as well. <laughs> Probably more so at the minute than any other time. But uh, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite emotional for me to talk about that because I've faced some challenges in the past and, and, and had to overcome them. And they're only small challenges and they're only my challenges, but they are my challenges and I've had to overcome them. Mm. Outside of triathlon, what's your greatest success? Well, outside of triathlon, I would say one of them is just being a father, you know. I mean, Father's Day is coming up. I don't know when this podcast <laughs> yes. will air, but Father's Day is coming up uh, this coming Sunday. And it's just a reminder of me of how lucky I feel to, to be a father and to have a son. And he's 26 years old now. And uh, we have a great relationship. I'm really lucky and thankful for that. You know, I somebody asked me in an interview just yesterday about how did how did your life change when you became a father? and I said, well, you know, it was during my career. And so I went early self-absorbed athlete in the sense that I had all the time in the world to do whatever training I wanted to do. You know, you, you can't train all day. So I still had time for my wife and friends and all that. But you, uh, when you have a child, suddenly your life is on their timeline, timeline, not yours. But it was a great surrender, you know, to just go, wow. This is, this is a human life, you know, and, and I can help guide this person to help them grow and hopefully help them become a great person and discover what their life is going to be about for them. And so, yeah, that for me, that's a great success. And, and on an athletic level, uh, you know, for me, one of the greatest successes is, is that I am now 62 years old and I fortunately, everything still works. You know, I, I don't have any overuse injuries my 
my go-to day-to-day sport now is surfing. I've done, I did that as a child. I lived two blocks from one of the main surf breaks here in Santa Cruz, California. And I just love it. You know, it's cardio. It's, it's my yoga because I'm stretching and moving in every direction. It's, it's time in nature. It's, it's my stress relief. It's time in community because you get to know all the, all the folks out in the water and, and I can still fortunately surf pretty well, you know, for, for, for me anyway, I, I'm not a world champion surfer in case any of you are wondering, um, but you know, it's, it's just so fun to see that if you take care of your body, meaning give your body exercise every day, give your body good food every day, take care of your thoughts so that you hopefully have a positive attitude as much as possible. If you do that consistently day after day, after day, year after year, after year, you it, it's so easy to um, avoid a lot of the declines or to push those declines in, in life that some people consider normal. You know, I don't I don't do huge volumes of anything anymore. I don't push my body the way I did when I raced. Um, not that that's a, a bad thing for somebody who's 62, but what I did during the sport was fairly intense. And so, you know, this is my balance to that. But I'm still active. I'm still out there and uh you know i just i just love that i just love it that's a success for me yeah i've raced in triathlon and i'm, I'm kind of going through a phase at the moment where i'm not really any plans to race and i'm just fully enjoying my coaching and um being part of the sport um, but for me i'm still loving riding the bike or um i was on the stand-up paddleboard today out there with an athlete who was learning to swim and or coaching them to swim and um, and it's been yeah, I, I completely hear what you're saying, and it's it's fascinating to hear um, you saying those same things. Well, and, and for me, coaching is a great success too because it's such a it's so exciting for me when you know athletes come to me, and some of them have pretty good idea what to do, some of them have no idea what to do, but regardless, um, you know, I help guide them, and to just see them flourish and to to experience these new levels of themselves athletically. And then also it translates into, you know, the whole rest of their life. It just is, it's really satisfying. And that's a great success for me to, to be able to help others through the experience that I've had and to, to have that partnership with, with my athletes. You know, it's not about me just saying here, go do this. And that's the only way to do it. You know, we learn together and it's so exciting. That's a really exciting, fun, fun success. At the moment, given the the COVID pandemic and the changes in, um, you know, access and changes in life, ha- has your training, your coaching with your athletes changed? What advice have you been giving them to keep them motivated? The, the main thing I've had to do is to help them um, restructure what has importance for them to do keep training for. You know, when you have a race, it's very clear. You've got this goal out there that you're targeting and that sort of becomes this magnet that keeps you consistent and gives you motivation. Well, without races on the calendar, it's like, well, why should I go out and do all the swimming, cycling, running? The reason is because it's helping you be be healthy, reduce your stress, give you a, a, a break from thinking about the pandemic. You know, when you're training, you get a break and you don't have to think about that stuff. And so it's more like, use your training to um, just give you that inherent feeling like, okay, I did something good for my life today. And athletes have made a huge, that I coach have made a huge shift and they're like, 
yeah, this is so important. And, and it's, it's not really about the race result. It's about how good I feel each and every day to do this. You know, people aren't, aren't in pools, so they're doing stretch in the gym. So they're making do with, you know, cans of whatever in the house or whatever they can, you know, and everybody's on a stationary trainer and, you know, most people can run outside. And I think in the end, it's actually helped a lot of the athletes have a, almost a, a, a healthier relationship with, with the sport and with training because they're seeing that, like I said, it's, it's not just about getting, you know, a minute and a half better on your Olympic distance race. It's about what you're doing day to day and, and feeling how good you feel from doing that. And so that's been, it's been more a mental shift than necessarily changing much about their actual training schedules. Thank you. I did, I did mention very early on in the beginning, actually, um, about your 1621 infinity, infinity legacy. Can you tell us and, your listener, and our listeners what it's about and what it means to you? Yeah, my business partner, Scott Zagarino, he's a great guy. He's been around and he's been involved with the sport since the 80s. He, he actually uh, helped get Gatorade as the title sponsor for Ironman years ago. The best, I think it was the best title sponsor they've ever had. But anyway, he's, he is my, my partner in my business, in my coaching. And he does a lot of the marketing, comes up with these great ideas. And he sent me these numbers one day and he said, what is this? And I see this one six twenty one, and then the, the symbol for infinity. And I'm thinking, like, is this the the date the world is going to end, or something? Some code, some Mayan <laughs> code, or you know? I had no idea. And he goes, "That's your resume." And I go, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "Well, one, uh, you were the first ITU Olympic distance champion ever in 1989 in Avignon, and and that world championship, the first." ever Olympic distance world championship became the first true cornerstone that enabled the sport to actually get into the Olympics in Sydney in 2000. The six are your six Ironman triathlon world championships. You know those, don't you? You remember those, right, Mark? I said, yes, sir. And then he said the 21, that's, that was a winning streak that you had that started in uh, November of 1988 and went all the way through eight, 1989 and 1990. 21 races, zero losses at all distances, all disciplines. I, there was even a duathlon in there. Uh, and then the infinity was greatest endurance athlete of all time as voted by ESPN and a worldwide poll. And, um, you know, when I saw that, it's like, you know what? I never, I never really put all of those pieces together kind of like in a perspective, but it's like, geez, how did I do all that? <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes people ask me, they go, how did you win six Ironman? How did you win 10 these international triathlons? I go, well, one race at a time, you know, and that's just kind of how I did it. I, I didn't have a grand plan. I, it's like, I didn't sit back and go, okay, I'm going to win six Ironmans. I'm going to win these 10 times. It was more like, let me just see how good I can do in this race. And then I move on to the next one. Let me see how good I can do in this race. And that's just kind of how I did it. And it turned into this amazing, broad career that's propelled me and kept me and sustained me. And here I am today, 2020, <laughs> in the midst of the pandemic, with all of us together, alone together, yeah. here we are. I guess 
one of the things I wanted to ask is I've been to lots of different countries through triathlon. Um, I've been fortunate to be able to, whether it's delivering a training camp or whether it's to do races myself um, and on a purely on an age group basis and being able to just enjoy the sport in different world, different parts of the world and then actually get to see those different parts. If you could pick one event or one country, what would you tell our listeners to, to put on their bucket lists and why? Well, one of the real cool races that I did was the, the Pucan Triathlon in Pucan, Chile. It's a half Ironman distance race now, and it's it's in this. The swim is in this lake that it, the the sand is all black, crushed lava because there's a, a volcano right nearby that created the the whole landscape there, and and the volcano itself is still active. So there's there's like this little plume of smoke that's always coming out of it, and at night you can see the glow from inside the the caldera there, and it's it's got a, it's kind of glacier covered even though it's hot and sunny and warm in the summer you know they get so much snow in the winter and so it's just this dramatic beautiful setting and, and you know the people are great it's exciting it's friendly it's um that 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 for sure is a, a bucket list race of course the iron man's a bucket list race but it's kind of harder to kind of get that into your bucket you know what i mean i mean not everybody's <laughs> able to do that one the amazing thing is that there's there are so many races throughout the world right now that didn't exist before. I'm hoping to get to um, the Ironman 70.3 race in Vietnam. I've, I've been invited to come there and um, we're trying to see if I can actually get there when it happens. But, you know, I saw some of the footage from that. That looked amazing. And, and you know, there's races in Eastern Europe that look amazing. And there's races, other races in South America that look amazing. And so, yeah, it's pretty hard to go wrong with, with the bucket list race now. And of course, you got some great ones there in the UK. So anybody who's looking, you'd better do some there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been really nice talking to you. We've got one last question for you, Mark. Um, mm -hmm. As you know, we're kind of aiming this podcast towards beginner, newbie triathletes and intermediates. But if there's one single piece of advice you would give a new person to triathlon, what, what would it be? Well, more I, I, I can give, I think there's a few things that beginners, it's good to know. One is for sure, get a coach or be, become part of a team or a club where you can get guidance so that, you know, you can have people with experience help accelerate your knowledge curve and your training curve so that you avoid the pitfalls and you do stuff that's smart and you train wise and you'll have so much of a better experience so that you're not sitting around kind of going, gee, what should I do? You know, have somebody who has that knowledge help you out. Secondly, um, you know, get involved with the triathlon community so that you have training partners and people that you can, that you can meet and do workouts with and, and share this journey with, because it's, you know, it's fun to do it on your own. It's amazing to do it with other people. And even if that's the only thing that you do with them, you know, you'll develop this, this community of athletes that that really it's a shared experience it's super fun people think of triathlon as an individual sport but you know it's it's it really is a community sport in the sense that you know you, you get in the pool and you swim together you go on group runs or group rides together it's really really fun to have that and then you know have the courage to dream what is your dream what maybe you, you'll start out with a goal that is a little bit of a stretch, but still um, 
something you think you can probably do. Maybe it's a sprint race. And then you do that and you go, oh, man, I'm never doing one of those again. But then two days later, you're like, <laughs> wait a minute, let me do an Olympic distance race, you know, and, and just keep evolving your dream, whatever that is. Great. Lovely advice. Thank you very much. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I could sit and talk to you all day, to be honest, because I, um, I think <laughs> I'd like to think we think along the same lines in terms of coaching. I, I want to say a massive thank you, and uh, I want to say a thank you on behalf of our listeners uh, as well. I think it's probably the quietest I've been ever. <laughs> I think we've set a new record. Yeah, it's been, it's, it has actually been a real pleasure talking to you, Mark.